Right, how are you all doing today? Happy? Good? Excited? Some of you? Good? Okay. I'm excited for next week. Today, we're talking, uh, we're in the Battleship series. Were any of you here last week uh, when Duncan was preaching? If he did anything like the job he did at our church, it was a great sermon on servant leadership. Leadership is the ship for last week. And, um, and the qualifications of elders and deacons and all that kind of stuff. So that's what we had last week. And this week, it's membership. Um, so we're talking about church membership. And then next week, I think you're going to have fellowship and then partnership. And I think you've got an extra ship here. You're going to have discipleship as well. So you're getting five ships. We've only getting four ships at Trinity. Um, so good for you. Um, actually, it won't be next week you get fellowship. It'll be a week after, won't it? Because you're coming to us next week. So uh, you have to wait for that, I'm afraid. Um, so we're talking about um, membership today. And um, turn this on. There we go. We've got a two-point sermon there. All right. First point, what is a local church? And the second point has gone... Um, is the responsibilities of church members. The responsibilities of church members. Um, and so it's only a two-point sermon, so you're, it's, you know, but don't think you're going to take it easy because point two has got 15 sub-points, right? You know, so it's not going to be as short as you might have hoped, all right? Um, but anyway, we'll get into this question. The first question then is, what is a local church? And uh, as you may know, there's a Greek word for church in, in the New Testament, and it's ecclesia, and it means like assembly or congregation or gathering. So a good definition of church um, is this one that says a group of believers who assemble regularly to worship and fellowship, which is exactly what we're doing here um, today. And um, here's a verse that kind of summarizes that, Hebrews 10. 25, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up on meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. So gathering together, meeting together, a gathering of believers, that is basically what a church is. So I want to ask you now, um, what does the Bible say that a local church should do? What does the Bible say that a local church should do? All right, have a little discussion with your neighbour and see what you can come up with that the Bible says that the church should do these things. I've got a list of about a dozen things, okay? I don't think it's a complete list, but you have a think between yourselves. What do you think, what can you remember that the Bible says that churches should do? Have a think for a couple of minutes. Right, go on. I'm going to ask you for some ideas now. Come on. Let's hear some ideas. You've, you've been discussing long enough. Come on. You should have about 50 ideas now. Come on. Let's hear them. Let's hear them. Come on. Who's brave enough to volunteer an idea? It's not difficult. Worship. worship. There says the worship leader. Of course. Yeah. Song worship. That is in the Bible. Yeah. Good one. So that's number one. Yes. Witness. Witness to the world. Good one. Yes. That's in there. Yep. Yeah. Yes. 
Teach and preach, says the teacher and preacher. Yeah, good one, my favourite one. Yeah. Love one another. Yes, good one. Yes, was that what you had? Yeah, that's good. Pray for one another. Great one. Sorry? Serve the poor. Yes, social action. That kind of thing. Yes, that's, that's in there. Yep. Welcome people. Yep, welcome people into the group. Yep. Encourage one another. Yes, there's all those kind of one another things, isn't there, in the Bible? Yep. Pray for healing. Yes. Pray for miraculous things. Yes. Good. Yep. Okay. That's 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 a good start. Here's um, here's some ideas I had. Right. Sung worship. We had that. Number one. There we are. Okay. Pray. Okay. And it and it says there. First of all, pray for kings and rulers and those in authority. And then there's lots of other verses talk about praying about lots of other things as well. So prayer. That's what churches should do. Preach the word. We had that one. Um, from Jonathan at the back there. Um, love one another. Yes, we had that one um, in there. Fellowship. That's kind of, we're going to get into that next part in the series. So um, that's in there as well. And that includes sort of loving everybody in that country as well. Discipling people, making disciples, um, discipling each other. Um, that's in there as well. Baptizing people. You forgot that one. Do you have baptisms here sometimes? Yeah. Baptising people, churches should do that. Uh, spiritual gifts, you sort of had that one. Facilitating spiritual gifts, making room for spiritual gifts. Had some spiritual gifts here today. Um, that's in there. Equipping the saints for ministry. Do you know that one in, in Ephesians as well? Um, what about the Lord's Supper? Nobody mentioned that one. Do you have that here? Sometimes? Yeah? Good. Okay, practice church discipline. Nobody ever comes up with that one. Unpopular one. Talk about that in a minute. Um, Witness to the world. Yes, we had that one. Um, Be the light of the world. Um, And social action as well, which we had as well. So that was the list that I had of all the things that the church um, should do. Okay? And you came up with quite a lot of them. Um, Well done for that. Um, So what about responsibilities of church members? You've got all those things that churches should do. But what should church members do? Um, That's just you and me, ordinary people in the church. What are we um, supposed to do? What are the duties and responsibilities that we have? Um, And I put that slide up there, your church needs you. Um, When I uh, put this, I preached this sermon at at, um, Trinity a few weeks ago, I put it on um, Facebook and some um, bright spark said, I've never seen the, the phrase church member in the Bible, accuse me of being unbiblical, talking about church membership. It's not in the Bible. Church is in the Bible. We said that, okay. Member isn't in the Bible. What do we do about that, you know? Well, the word Trinity isn't in the Bible either. Hopefully you all believe the Trinity, do you? Yeah. Even though it's not a word that's in the Bible, it's taught in the Bible, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all that kind of thing. So member, what do we find about that? Well, I thought about it. I thought you do have reference to insiders or those inside the church and reference to outsiders as well so that clearly implies a kind of there's insiders and outsiders and then you also have expelling instruction to expel immoral people as well from your group so that's basically membership isn't it you've got insiders and outsiders and you can expel some people because they're not actually qualified to be members properly so there is clearly the concept of membership is in there even if it's not the word isn't there in the bible and um 
we had this fantastic picture today we have a puzzle and how we're all part of this puzzle and I thought wow this is great it's exactly what I'm going to preach on today um, how we are all part of a unity together what the Bible says is one body and we all need each other right and we're all connected together and we all fit in a particular way we all have a particular role to play in the church and none of us can get away and say they don't need me because we all have a part to play in the church and the key passage of course that talks about that is 1 Corinthians 12 which you might want to turn to and which I'm going to read now it's up there on the screen I don't know if you can read it um, there uh, 1 Corinthians 12 verses 12 to 26 um, and let me just read that for you. For just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptised into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chose, if all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honourable, we have bestowed a greater honour, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honour to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honoured, all rejoice together. So you see what that passage is saying, we're all members of the body of Christ, or the body of believers in the church. Same kind of idea as all being parts of one puzzle, isn't it? Right? And, you know, if you're ever sick, like you've got an earache or something, you know, it's like, I'm sick. It's not just my ear sick, I'm sick. I'm a sick person because my ear is sick. Or if my, or if my foot, you know, I've got an ingrown toenail or something, my whole body has to limp. And my whole body feels sick, you know, and, and it's one toe, but you, you never know how much pain and annoyance one toe can give to a whole body. When, you, when it's unwell, you suddenly realise how important your toes are, or your toenails are, don't you? Right? And you sort of think, I'm sorry I haven't looked after you before properly. You know? And, and uh, that, every part of the body is like that. You know? If one part of your body isn't functioning right, then your whole body isn't right, really. Right? And it's the same with the church. If we're not all functioning right, then the whole church isn't functioning right. If we're not all connected with God properly, we're not all doing what God wants us to do, then we're not, as a church, able to function properly and do what God wants us to do, correct, as a whole body. And none of us can say um, we're not needed because we're part of the body, and none of us can say we don't need you 
because they're needed as part of the body. And we need the diversity and, and difference and different experiences and different abilities and different gifts and talents and passions and all of these kind of things in one body in the church. God needs all of us um, in the group as you all have a part to play. And we all need to care for each other and look after each other and fight each other's battles, um, which was kind of the point being made as well um, this morning um, as the words were given. And so I want to say this, ask not what your church can do for you, ask what you can do for your church. This is the kind of attitude that we should have. And the problem is that we live in a consumeristic society, don't we? And we, have an, we often have a consumeristic attitude to church as well. I'm going to pick and choose which church I think is going to benefit me and I'm going to see which church I get the best benefit from. Well, it shouldn't be that way around. It should be which church can I serve the best? And how can I best play a part in that church? And how best can I serve and benefit and be part of and, and join and encourage and bless people in that church? That should be our attitude to it, rather than a consumeristic attitude um, to it um, in terms of how we think about church. What is your attitude to church? Is it this kind of attitude? What can I do um, for my church? So as I thought about the responsibilities of church members um, from the Bible, I came up with these various ideas. Um, Not in any particular order, but here's the first one. Attend regularly. And I already read that verse um, from Hebrews. I'll read it again. Um, Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as the day approaches. This is saying you can't be a Christian on your own, right? You just can't do it. It doesn't work, right? If you're trying to do that, you're not doing it right. You have to be meeting with other believers. You have to be in fellowship. You have to be meeting with people and praying with people and worshipping with other people and building relationships with other people and discipling other people and, all, and you know, exercising spiritual gifts. All these things that you can't do on your own. right? You can't exercise spiritual gifts on your own. You're going to have to do it with other people. I'm sorry. That is the way God's made us. right? You can't pray for other people in the same way if you're apart from them as if you're with them there and you lay hands on them. You can't lay hands on people from a distance. You can't do it. You can't share communion from a distance. There's no such thing as virtual church. It doesn't work. Um, it's a bit like having a virtual marriage. Can you have a virtual marriage? Anybody want to have a virtual marriage? You know, you can't do it. You need a real marriage, right? And, you, and the same thing applies to church. You need a real church where you meet together, right? And this verse is actually written to people who are facing persecution. And it's dangerous for them to meet up. It's dangerous. And he's saying, let's not give up meeting together because it's dangerous, as some people are doing, but let's carry on meeting together because it's important. And today, this Sunday, there will be people who are risking their lives to meet up for fellowship, for prayer, for worship, for sharing together, for ministering the spiritual gifts together, all of that kind of stuff. People are prepared to risk their lives for doing that. And we ought to be prepared, and we ought to sacrifice, and we ought to be prepared to... Um, do what it takes to uh, commit to meeting together, come what may, week in, week out, prioritising it, seeing it as important, seeing it as one of the most important things we can do in our lives is meeting together and worshipping together and fellowshipping together. And, um, you know, this also happened in times of plague, 
you know, when the, 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 the pathetic Christians would run off to the countryside and, and forget their churches and the real believers would open up their churches and say, we're still going to meet, we're still going to preach, we're still going to pray for you. It's at a risk, yes, fine, but we're still going to do it because we're commanded by God to meet together. We're still going to do it. And, you know, obviously we had this time of COVID in the last couple of years and the government forced churches to close for the first time for centuries. And I'm part of an organisation called Christian Concern that challenged that in law. He said you can't have it that bicycle shops are seen as more important than church. You can't have it that um, off-licences are seen as essential and church is seen as not essential. We can't have that in this country. And we challenged it in law. And every time I was about to go to court in England, the government opened up the churches again. But the Scottish government was stupid enough to keep churches closed long enough that it could get to court. And the court ruled that it was illegal for the government to force the closure of churches. It was a breach of both human rights and of the Constitution. And so I hope that the government never, ever makes it illegal to gather and meet and pray together, because it should never be illegal for people to gather and worship the Lord Jesus together. And um, people should always be allowed to do that. And people, Christians, have always risked their lives in order to do that, in order to pray and preach and minister and see spiritual gifts operate and all of that kind of thing. And so you've got to have a real church meeting together. Meeting together is a command and something that we all need to do as Christians, um, as members of a local church. Um, so, <clears throat> what else? Pray. Pray for your church. Um, let's read this scripture here. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and application. Prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. So it's a command there to pray for the saints. So as a church member, you should be praying for the people in your church, should be praying for the people in your church. So is that part of your prayer life? Are you praying for your church? Are you praying for the church leaders? Are you praying for the church meetings? I don't know how, what prayer meetings you have in this church. You know, maybe you participate in them, you know, but are you, as part of your prayer life, are you praying for your church? Are you praying for people you know in the church? Praying for people who are having battles in the church and praying with them in that battle in their life? and praying for the leaders, and praying for the meetings, and praying that God shows up, and praying for God to break through, and encourage people, and bless people, and enable people to do what God wants them to do. That's the responsibility of us as church members, to pray um, for your church. Here's one that's not often talked about. Help preserve the gospel. Here's this verse in Colossians. And what's striking about this verse is it's not addressed to the church leaders. It's addressed to the church members, to the ordinary people in Colossae. And he says this, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ. They're turning to a different gospel. It's like, wow, you church members, how did you let this happen? How did you let the leaders, these leaders, take you off into a different gospel? How did you go along with that nonsense? You should never have done it. You know? And so it's interesting because it's kind of a responsibility to church members. Obviously, there's a responsibility on leaders as well. A responsibility on church members to guard the gospel and make sure the gospel, the true gospel, is being preached and challenge the leaders if it's not and, 
and talk about it if it's not, but make sure that the core gospel is definitely being preached and they're sticking to the Bible and they're preaching what the Bible says. And if they're going completely wrong, then you need to either leave the church or you know, challenge the leaders first and, and, and maybe leave the church if that's really what's happening. There's a responsibility on us as church members to make sure that the gospel is being preached and preserved um, in your church. That's one that's not often talked about. Um, here's one that is often talked about, love one another. And, uh, and that was, you came up with this earlier as, as one, one thing that churches should do. But obviously as individuals, it's a responsibility for us to do as individuals as well. And Jesus said, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So there we are. We have a responsibility to love one another with that sacrificial uh, love that Jesus has shown to us and given to us. We have to love one another and we should be loving each other in the church. People who come to the church regularly should feel loved, should know that people love them, should have that experience of feeling loved and welcomed and part of the group. And we need to show love to people and appreciate them and bless them and be praying for them and be asking after them and, and being friends and, and, you know, and maybe sometimes it's practical things as well. Um, but just being loving amongst one another and it says there that this is what this is how the world will know. You know, it's like you know you can go to a club, I don't know, a golf club or a book club or a politics club or something, and they will meet together, whatever. But if you go to a church, the love that they have is what should show us different, right? That's what Jesus is saying here. They will see the love that happens between people in the church, and they'll think, "Wow, these people are different." That is different. That is one of the things that characterise a church as different. The love that they have for one another. By this will people know that you are my disciples because you love one another. What's the next one? Encourage one another. Similar kind of thing. Slightly different. Let us consider how to stir one another up towards love and good works. Encourage one another. When was the last time you encouraged someone in the church? There's a, something for you to reflect on. When was the last time you encouraged someone in the church? You know, when somebody encourages me, I can live off that for quite a long time, depending who it is, particularly if it's someone I respect who encourages me. You know, I think, wow, I feel good about that, you know. And God's using me, and this is great, and isn't life wonderful, you know. When somebody discourages me, well, then that has the opposite effect, obviously. So don't do that. Okay, but when you're encouraged, you know, it really blesses you. And people need to, we all need encouragement, don't we, from time to time? I do. You know, we need to be encouraged from time to time. I had somebody um, message me a few weeks ago saying, I'm just reading Daniel 5, and I remember you preached on it a couple of years ago, and I remember that you explained it, and now I understand it. And I was like, wow, she remembered, and I, and, it, and I explained it, and she still remembers it today, and it helps her as she read it again a few years ago. That's great. I feel really encouraged about that. You know, that's really encouraging. Just that simple message that she sent to me, I was so encouraged by it. Um, and lots of other examples I could give you as well. But when did you last encourage someone in the church? Um, please do it. It's a responsibility that we have as church members to encourage people 
um, in the church. Some people are very gifted at encouraging people, but all of us need to do it from time to time and be encouraging one another. Now, here's one, engage in ministry. So this verse in Ephesians chapter 4 says this, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So what's interesting here is that um, this is against a kind of consumeristic model of church where I turn up and the apostles and prophets and shepherds and pastors, they minister to me and I don't need to do anything. No, the role of the pastors and prophets and teachers and all of that is to equip the saints for ministry. It's so that all of us can minister. So they're saying is that the implication here is we all should be ministering in some way or other in church. We can't just sit back and be ministered to. It's a body ministry is the idea. Everyone ministering uh, in different ways according to your gifts and abilities and whatever else it might be. And so we should be expecting to minister in some ways in church uh, when we come along. And, um, and there is a ministry for all of us to have of some kind um, in the church that we should be involving ourselves in. And we can't just sit back and leave it all to other people and say, well, they're the paid minister, they should just do it all. You know, we actually have to get involved ourselves and be part of it. And all of us should be engaging in ministry of some kind or other. <clears throat> also, we have serving as well. Here's a verse in Galatians, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, rather serve one another humbly in love. Serve one another humbly in love. I, was at a, I went to a meeting recently and uh, they were interviewing this chap and um, he said when he first joined this church, he said to the church leader, what is the job that nobody wants to do in this church? And the church leader knew immediately what that was and said to him, it's this. I can't remember what it was now. It was something like car park attendant. Maybe it was toilet cleaner, something like that. What is the job that he wants to do? And he said, well, I'll do that job. And that is a mark of a servant heart, isn't it? Going to the church leader and saying, what is it that nobody wants to do? I'll do that, please. Right? And that chap now is leading a flourishing ministry because if he's got a servant heart like that, God's going to use him, isn't he? You know, that's what God does with people with a servant heart. And, uh, and we all need to be serving in some way in church. When I joined Trinity Church, but after about two weeks, they said, come and do the laptop as well. I thought, okay. And that got me involved, and I had something to serve and something to do, and I was turning up early and starting to meet people. It was a great way of build, bringing me in to the group, if you like, just finding a, something for me to serve in, and I did that uh, for a while. Um, I remember... Um, some years ago now, my previous church, um, and the, uh, the leader of the church went on sabbatical, and I was kind of left slightly in charge of the church for a, a month or two. And, um, and I had a massive spiritual um, revelation at one point that I'll never forget, because the church nearly ran out of toilet paper. <laughs> and I thought, wow, you can't do church without toilet paper. Can you? Right? You can't, you, you know, if the preacher doesn't turn up, if I didn't turn up, you'd manage somehow. Right? If the worship leader didn't turn up, you'd manage. No toilet paper, crisis. Right? You can't, who's going to go to a church with no, no toilet paper? Or who's going to come back 
right, to a church, they're never going to do it. Right? You've got to have toilet paper. It's almost like more important than all these other things that people talk about and that you see up front. And somebody was getting the toilet paper and nobody ever thanked her probably and nobody ever noticed it, whatever. And when it didn't happen, my goodness, you know, it's a crisis. And, and you know, all of these things need to happen for a church to function. Somebody, you know, this isn't your building, so presumably, you know, you don't have to worry about toilet paper here, you know. But, but somebody set up all this stuff, and, and I got here um, at quarter to ten, and it was all set up and all working, and, and, and somebody had been here quite early to set that all up and everything, and somebody will set it all down, and there's tea and coffee and biscuits, and, all, and somebody's doing all this stuff, right? And, and that's serving, isn't it? And, it? and it's actually really important. And, you know, all of these things get done behind the scenes, they probably rarely get thanked, but they're so important. And church can't function unless people are serving, doing all of these various things, setting up, setting down, and getting toilet paper, whatever else it might be. And so we need people to serve faithfully in all these different areas. And that is an attitude of serving that we should have as church members. What else do we have? Um, here's one. Use your gifts. Use your gifts. Now, there are a few places in the Bible which talk about different gifts that people have. Um, here's one of them in Romans 12, verses 4 to 8, and I'll just read that one there. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service, in our serving, the one who teaches, in his teaching, the one who exhorts, in his exhortation, the one who contributes, in generosity, the one who leads, with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy, with cheerfulness. So you see there's a list of gifts there, and that's not a comprehensive list, because there are other lists of gifts as well in the Bible, but the point is that every one of us has some gifts. Every one of us has some gifts. What gifts are the gifts that God has given you in terms of functioning in a church? Yeah, every person here will have gifts that God has given you. And your responsibility as a church member is to use those gifts or find opportunities to use them or grow in them so that you are able to use them um, in the church. And so, you know, all of us have a responsibility to develop and grow our gifts. Timothy's told to stir up his gift and stuff, to grow our gifts and use them and find opportunities to use our gifts and make sure that we're functioning in the church um, in that kind of way as well. So there's another thing that we have to do as church members, use our gifts. Here's one that we don't often talk about, participate in church discipline. Um, did you know that all churches have church discipline. Um, if I, for example, um, committed adultery or something like that, then I ought to be disciplined by the church. I ought to have to step down from ministry of whatever kind for a certain period of time, whatever, or somebody who's leading worship or whatever else other leadership responsibilities is found to have done some serious moral failure. Um, there should be some church discipline about that. That is how churches should work. If it's not doing that, it's not really a church. Um, so there should be church discipline of some kind 
in churches. And here's what Jesus said about this. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Um, so there's a responsibility there to engage in church discipline and to be part of it. If you know that somebody who is in ministry is engaged in some serious moral failure, you should make people aware of it. Ask, maybe ask them privately, but otherwise make people aware of it. And sometimes it needs to be said in front of the church, and you as the church members need to agree that this is the right thing to do about it. And uh, this kind of thing sometimes happens, sadly. Hopefully not very often. Most churches doesn't happen very often, but sometimes it is necessary, and uh, we'll be part of being a church member, is participating in church discipline. Here's one. Give generously. Now, you did a series, as we did in our church, on money recently, and I think I did the... Um, the session here on um, giving. So you heard me talk about that already once before. But let me just read this verse here um, from 1 Timothy chapter 5. Let the elders who rule be considered worthy of double honour, especially those who labour in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the labourer deserves his wages. Um, So one of the things that we should do as church members is give to our church. Give money to our church. And that is a responsibility. It's part of what it means to be a church member. Um, You should be giving, and I'll leave it up to you how much you give, but I'll leave it up to you and your conscience and your prayers, how much you should give and how you should give. You should give generously. And as a church member, I think the dominant part of your giving should be to your local church. I think you should certainly give to other ministries and other charities and and passionate causes that you have as well. But certainly you should give to your church and give substantially out of your giving to your local church. And that's part of responsibility as church member and part of how you participate in being a church member of the church is to be giving to your local church. Witness to the world. Well, we had that. Somebody mentioned that earlier. Um, Here's a verse in 1 Peter Uh, In your hearts, honour Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defence to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. As a church member, you've got your own story of what God has done for you and how you've experienced God and how God has answered prayers that you have prayed in your own life. And this is saying, you know, if somebody asks you, what is it that motivates you? If somebody asks you, why are you a Christian? If somebody asks you, why do you go to church? If somebody asks you, you know, what difference does it make to you being a Christian? You should be able to explain that out of your own experience. You should be able to say that. You should be able to say, this is my story. This is what I've seen. This is what I've experienced. That's what being a witness means. You know, in a courtroom, a witness to a crime says what they saw. right? And you, as a witness to the world, you can say what you've experienced and what you've seen and the answer to prayer that you've had and what you've experienced in terms of your own relationship with God and how God has, has broken into your life and changed you and transformed you and you've experienced his love and his forgiveness and all that kind of stuff. Witnessing to the world, we all have a responsibility to do that 
uh, to our non-Christian friends and relations and colleagues who we see and who we know around us, uh, particularly when they ask us to explain, why are you a Christian? What difference does it make to you? Right. Quite a few responsibilities at churches, don't we have? You know, you know, see, there's got quite a few things we've got to all do. Here's another one, honour your leaders. We've often talk about this one probably as well. Um, let me read this verse here. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labour among you, who are over you in the Lord, and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. So honouring your church leaders. Um, obviously, it's assuming servant leadership here, which Duncan was talking about last week, but we should speak well of people who lead well in the church. It's to speak well of them and honour them and build them up and encourage them and give them the right level of respect and all that they deserve in their ministry. And that is something that we have a responsibility to do as church leaders, honour the people who work hard and labour well and engage in servant leadership um, around us. Then here's one. Preserve unity. Responsibility that we all have here. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. You see Paul's heart there. Please agree. Please agree. Please be in agreement as church members. Please be in agreement about things. And so we should be trying to preserve unity in the church, trying to make sure that we do all agree on the essentials, that we do all agree what we're trying to do, we do all agree about things. And there is a danger of being a divisive person in church. Um, in fact, sowing discord or division is described as an abomination in Proverbs chapter 6. Did you know that? You know, an abomination. And it's also a reason for church discipline from Titus chapter 3. It, it says there, um, um, warn a divisive person once and then a second time, and after that have nothing to do with him. Right? That's the kind of church discipline thing there. So divisiveness is something to really avoid, and we should be trying to preserve unity, trying to be united together, trying to agree together and know what we're trying to do and stop um, trying to divide each other and, and splitting people up and getting into factions, all this kind of thing is not what we should be doing as church leaders. Preserving unity, absolutely a duty of church members. What about this one? Keep yourself in God's love. Got a verse there from Jude. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. What I'm trying to say here, and what this verse is trying to say is, you have a responsibility, we all have a responsibility to maintain your own relationship with God. No one else can do that for you, right? I can't keep you in the love of God. You've got to do it yourself, right? I can't keep your relationship with God. You've got to do it yourself. Church leaders can't do it for you. So you have a responsibility as church members to be in good relationship with God in your own prayer life, in your own quiet times, in your own way in which you relate to God yourself. You've got to do that yourself. And that's the responsibility that you have to keep yourself in the love of God and then you can watch out for other people as well. But you've got to, keep, you've got to keep, take responsibility for your own life in God. And that's the responsibility that you have. Um, and finally, obey and submit to your leaders. 
Um, here's a verse from Hebrews 13. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over you, your souls, as those who will give, have to give an account. Let them do through joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Um, so, um, again, assuming that the church leaders are acting in servant leadership and doing it faithfully and rightly and so on, we should joyfully obey and submit to them and do what they want us to do and serve them so that for them it is a joy. For them it is a joy. And how would it be a joy for leaders to lead if they see how your faith is growing, if they see how your faith is developing, if you're seeing answers to prayer, if you're saying, that really encouraged me, that really blessed me, and I'm, I'm learning more and I'm developing and growing, that will be what makes it a joy. I read this book recently, it's called The Book Your Pastor Wishes You Would Read But Is, in two is, but is Too Embarrassed to Ask. The book your pastor wishes you read, but too embarrassed to ask. It's basically just an exposition of this verse. It's, just, it's quite a short book, it's only about 50 pages long. And it's basically an exposition of just this one verse. And, and saying, you know, please make your leader's life a happy one, as best you can. You know, try and make it a joy for them. Encourage them and bless them and serve them and do what they want to do. And, and share with them your own stories about what God's seeing in your life because that is what will make it a joy. And it's, if it's a joy for them, then, it's a, then you'll find it joyful as well. If it's not a joy for them, well, it's going to harm, it's going to harm the whole church because they're not enjoying being a leader. Try and make it something that they will enjoy and be happy with. That's what we should do as church leaders. So, that's quite a lot of things that we've all got to do as church leaders, as church members, isn't it? Um, and um, how are you doing on those things? How are you doing? Yeah? You're, you're feeling you're all set, got all, set, all sorted. Very good. Probably, though, for everyone here, one or two of those things there, you'll think, actually, I need to do more of that. Right? <coughs> one or two of those things, you'll think, I, actually, I could do more of this thing. Maybe it's praying. Maybe it's serving, whatever it is, OK? But, you know, there'll be something in this list that you're thinking, I, actually, I should do more of that. Right? Let's just stand together now and love pray. Um, before we finish. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, thank you that you've called us um, as members of your body and you need all of us and we need all of each other and every single one of us has got a role to play and has got a part to play. Every single one of us you've gifted and given us passions and experience and life uh, in different ways. And Lord, I just um, pray that your word today will touch our hearts. Lord, uh, pray for every person here as different things will have struck hearts and minds. I pray that every person here would be a faithful member of this church and would fulfill these various duties and responsibilities well um, with you, O God. And I ask that you'd stir us and use us and grow us and that this church would grow and grow individually and spiritually and that there be discipling going on 
and that people would grow in the Lord and grow in life and grow in love and grow in the Spirit and grow in spiritual gifts and grow in evangelism and grow in all of these different ways that you want us to grow, Lord. And let this church be fruitful in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, everyone.